Good morning again. Good to see you in this nice, brisk spring morning. I like getting a peak of summer in February. I don't like getting a, I mean, I like getting a peak of, I just ruined my own joke. Oh, well. I like getting a peak of spring in February. I don't like getting a peak of summer like I had, we had earlier this week anyway. But I heard a story in the news the other day about a teenager who left her four-year-old child, preschooler, with her 14-year-old teenager to babysit her. And what got my attention about this story was that the mother was arrested for this. And I thought to myself, gosh, that's illegal, you know? And so I was looking at the, uh, the story, and in Georgia, actually, where this took place, the minimum age for babysitting is 13. So the teenager met the age requirements, and so I was a little confused as to what, why she was arrested. Now, in South Carolina, we have no age requirements, but anyhow, in Georgia, it was 13. Well, the, well, the mother was arrested because of negligence, because while she was gone, uh, the 14-year-old ignored the preschooler, the four-year-old, long enough that the four-year-old walked around outside for about 15 minutes, unsupervised, and crossed the street to the neighbor's house, and the woman living across the street was concerned, and so she called 911 because she assumed that the baby, or the four-year-old, was left alone. So the official charges uh, to this mother were for reckless conduct, is what she was charged with, and that's what the story is. And that's why it's been on the news. But the real issue here, though, is that the teenager, who as a minor won't be prosecuted, was negligent in her babysitting duties. Who knows what she was doing for that 15 minutes? I have a good idea. I know what she was probably doing. Uh, scrolling the phone, something like that. But who knows what she was doing But for that 15 minutes when the four-year-old left and crossed the street. And now the mother is being charged for this reckless conduct, this negligence. Negligence is defined as failure to take proper care in doing something. Failure to take proper care in doing something. It means carelessness or a, a lack of proper care or attention. There are a lot of crimes that involve negligence where parents or people don't do what they're supposed to do. It's not necessarily a crime of action. What it happens is it becomes a, a crime of passivity or a crime of inaction. Today we're looking at a well-known passage of Scripture that is also a difficult one to understand, so we don't need to neglect it. And it also shows us how we can make sure we don't neglect our walk with Jesus. That we don't forget about what we're supposed to be doing as Christians and forget about who God is in the first place. We have so many distractions in our lives, more so now than ever, I would say, that our walk with Jesus can be quickly neglected if we don't watch out. We need to avoid at, at all costs negligence when it comes to following Christ. We're in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 28. Luke says, Now about eight days after these sayings, he, being Jesus, took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. 
And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory in the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship today, let us look at this scripture, this passage that we call the the transfiguration of Jesus. One that is very clear about what is happening, but at the same time can be confusing as to the meaning of it. So Father, help us see what that meaning is. Help us understand how this applies to our own lives and how it applies to us in following Jesus today. Lord, I pray that my words reflect your heart today, that you fill me with your spirit as I preach, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to show you three things we don't need to neglect as we follow Jesus. Three things that we don't need to neglect as we follow Jesus Christ. Number one, don't neglect the nature of Jesus. Don't neglect the nature of Christ. Verse 28 says, About eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Well, if you read this passage, the first question is, what sayings are they talking about? What, what were these sayings that Jesus was talking about to where then they went up on the mountain? Well, Luke 9, 22 is one of them. Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day raised. So he's letting them know the future of, of him, of his life. And this was confusing to them. Verse 23 through 26 says this, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels? These sayings were perplexing to the disciples. They didn't understand the necessity or the suffering that Christ was going to make. They were still unsure as to what kind of Savior Jesus was even supposed to be. No doubt they were thinking about what Christ had said. Verse 29 says that as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. Or some translations say transfigured. 
and his clothing became dazzling white. So at some point during the night, Jesus' face becomes altered. It becomes transfigured. The Greek word where we get this is where we get our word for metamorphosis. It has changed. It's undergone a change. But his face wasn't changed into something new. The change revealed Jesus' true, not his hidden, but his true divinity, his true identity. When he was transfigured, it was almost as if he could be seen in his purest, most holy form. His divinity was so strong, so pure, it made his clothes the whitest of whites. So his change, his look, didn't change what he looked like. This change, this alteration revealed who he really was. For years now I've had a beard. And every now and then I'll get sick of maintaining it and I'll, I'll shave it. When I started losing hair up top, I started growing hair on the bottom. So uh, it helps the eyes not look at the skin of the face. But anyway, each time I shave, my, my children do not like it. The last time I shaved it was last summer. I also decided to cut my hair real short when I did that as well. And one of my children, none of them liked it, but one of them said I looked like an egg. <laughs> and, 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 they, and they liked my beard to kind of hide uh, my face, which is insulting if you think about it. I try to tell them uh, that, you know, without a beard, this is what I really look like. Right? This is who I am. And I guess you could make the argument that since the hair grows, that this is what I really look like. But you get the point. And whenever I've shaved my beard, my family has a hard time adjusting to the real me that was underneath that. It's not a new me, right? It's just who I was all the time under the beard. A 25-year-old balding man is what it looked like, actually, but even though I'm 42. And it's a crude analogy, though, to what is going on in this passage. The, the main point is this, that Jesus' appearance, being changed, did not result in a new look for him. It simply revealed his true divinity. It underscored his true nature. It showed who he really was. And as we seek to follow Christ, let's not neglect the true nature of Jesus. He's not just a man. He is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. So the disciples get a glimpse at God in a way they've never seen him before. He wasn't hidden anymore, as the human body will do. And one day we'll see him face to face. And when we do, we'll be looking at the literal face of God. So this is a passage that reminds us not to neglect the true nature of who Jesus is. Secondly, don't neglect the mission of Jesus. Don't neglect the mission of Jesus. Verse 30 tells us, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Now Moses had been dead For 1,300 years, all right? So these weren't just two random men. These were dead men. This was today. We're talking about seeing someone from like 700 A.D. Who was around in 700 A.D.? Well, Charlemagne was on the scene, a man named Charles Martel in France. Islam was just beginning to spread. So this is a huge 
time gap. Elijah lived some 700 years before Jesus. Now, 700 years ago for us was the Dark Ages. It was the time of the, the Black Death, the Black Plague. But more importantly than the time difference was the significance of these two people appearing before Christ. Moses represented the time of the law in the Old Testament. Elijah represented the time of the prophets in the Old Testament. And so the law and the prophets were synonymous with the Jewish religion. They were synonymous with the Jewish culture. For Americans, to Americanize this, it would be like uh, speaking to, to George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. The country was built on their backs, and the whole Jewish religion fell on the backs of Moses and Elijah. So them speaking with Jesus gave credence to who he truly was. But what were they speaking about? What were they saying? It tells us in verse 30 that they appeared in glory and they spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now it says the two appeared in glory, which means they appeared in their, in their resurrected, glorified state. This is who they were. And one day we too will appear in glory when we speak with Jesus in our resurrected, our glorified state. But these two men were already in glory and they were in the presence of Jesus. And as they spoke, they had a, they had a reason for what they were talking about. They weren't just chit-chatting. Moses wasn't saying, you think you have a bad Caesar, I had a Pharaoh or something like that, right? They were talking about the mission of Jesus, his future departure that, that of his future death, his burial, his resurrection. And Jesus was praying about his future. While he was praying about his future, God brought about this glimpse into heaven for the disciples to see and to remind them what the mission of Christ was all about. Verse 32 tells us that Peter and those who were with him, James and John, were, were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. You know some, how sometimes you wake up and you're kind of groggy and you wonder if you're seeing things correctly? You know, I got sick this week and I got on some medication. And sometimes I wondered if I was seeing something correctly or if I was hallucinating, right? You don't ever know sometimes what reality is. And if you're waking up, they were waking up and they were, and they were seeing, the, am I really seeing this correctly, right? Imagine Peter, James, and John had to rub their eyes and, and make sure they saw what they thought they were seeing. Verse 33, and as the men were parting from him, it's like, they, it's like they caught the tail end of a conversation as they were waking up. Peter said to Jesus, whoa, 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 master, it's great that we're here. It's just good. Let's make three tents. Let's just hang out. Let's talk. I want to learn from, from Moses and Elijah. That's what Peter wanted to do. It seemed like a good thing. You would probably want to do it too. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how Peter knew that the men were Moses and Elijah. We don't know if Jesus said, Moses, come here, or Elijah, this or that. There's no indication that, that he called them by name. This could be a, a description for how we know, we'll know who people are in heaven one day. The disciples had never seen these men before. There were no pictures of them. But it was obvious who they were. They knew somehow. And I don't think we'll be wearing name tags in heaven. I hope not. But I think we'll know people. There's going to be some way we'll know people. But at the same time, we're not going to be all-knowing either. We're not going to know everything God knows. But perhaps people of the Bible, we will have an instant recognition for. Because Peter seemed to know exactly who Moses was. 
and seemed to know exactly who Elijah was. And he was so enamored that if he could have taken a selfie or a picture with him, he would have. He could have documented it. He would have. And that's why he's saying, let's stay here and enjoy the moment. But he is getting distracted with his emotions and his joy of a very good thing. And he's being distracted of why they were there in the first place. And that was to talk about the mission of Jesus. Peter was distracted and neglecting that mission. You may have heard of the term mission creep. It was first used as a military term in 1993 with the U.S. military involvement in Somalia. Some of you are familiar with that. But basically what mission creep is, it's when you set out with a goal or a mission, that goal gets changed or altered or enlarged, and you end up doing nothing that you were supposed to be doing. And you wonder what the mission, what the purpose was in the first place. Some say that the Vietnam and Korean Wars were examples of mission creep. There's plenty of examples of this, even in our own personal lives. You ever gone to the store to pick up one thing and you forget why you're there? You're buying other things. That's mission creep, right? It can happen in our own lives as we follow Jesus and the church as well. Because the mission of the church is very simple. It's two words. It is to make disciples. That's the mission. Now, there's a lot of good things that we do and a lot of ways to accomplish that mission. But sometimes the avenues that we use to accomplish the mission become distractions, and those distractions take us off the mission. So to be careful about that. We can do a lot of good things for people and for others. We're called to do that. That helps us make disciples. But those things are just part of the greater mission of making disciples. Because Jesus had a very narrow mission. He helped people. He healed people. He taught people. But his number one mission was to die. That's why he came, to die for our sins, to, to take the wrath of God on us so that we could then be saved and have the opportunity for forgiveness. And then so then God's people could assemble and be the church and continue to reach people with the gospel. We can't get distracted. We can't get sidetracked like Peter did over a very good reason and neglect the mission of Jesus. So let's not neglect the mission of Jesus. And number three, don't neglect the words of Jesus. Don't neglect the words of Jesus. Look at verse 34. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This cloud is God. It represents God Almighty. That's what the cloud was. And this onlooking disciples that had a sense of awe and a sense of fear, as Moses and Elijah left, they were entering this cloud and were leaving. As they watched this scene that Peter wasn't ready to, to end, Verse 35 says, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now here God says two things about Jesus. One, he is his chosen son. He is his chosen way, his chosen man. And two, he says, listen to what he says. That's all God tells Peter, James, and John. And that's really all he needs to say, Amen. This is him, listen to him. Following Jesus means we actually listen to what he says. 
we don't listen and then follow up with obedience, we're not really following him. Hebrews 1 says this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now this is important because Jesus' disciples would be tempted to say, well, you know, Moses says this. Or Elijah said this. Right? Moses says this. But God makes clear through this cloud and in this passage of Hebrews that Jesus is the radiance of God. And unlike Moses, who was on Mount Sinai, who caught a glimpse of God as he passed by, he caught his backside and caught a glimpse of it, and his face shone and reflected the radiance of God. Unlike Moses, Jesus' face was not just reflecting the radiance of God. Jesus' face was the radiance of God. He was God. Which is interesting that Moses was on this mountain as well. He, is the, he was the exact imprint of the nature of God. And those disciples got a glimpse of it. And furthermore, he's upholding the whole world in his hands. So it doesn't matter about when we hear about an invasion or something like this going on. You know why? Because God holds it in the palm of his hand. Jesus actually holds it in his hand. He upholds the universe by not only his power, but by his word. He can say one thing and change it all. The Bible says he will if we pray. He'll answer our prayers. But Jesus is all-powerful because he is all God. So we don't need to forget and neglect who Jesus is and what he has said. We're always wanting to get words from the Lord. You don't need to get a word from the Lord when you have the word from the Lord right here. You have it on your phones. You have it in your Bibles. You can get a word from the Lord at any time of the day. Sometimes that's not good for us. We try to manufacture something, create something novel or new. God says, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He is who you need to. Don't neglect his words. Verse 36 ends and says, When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent. And they told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Because I don't know if they could have described it. Where you been? Uh, talking to Moses? <laughs> Jesus looked different. He looked like God. They didn't tell anyone because they didn't fully understand what they had seen and they didn't know what, how to talk about it. They saw through a glass darkly, as scripture says. But we see and know more now about Jesus than they did at the time. Even though we've never personally seen Jesus face to face, we know how the story ends. That he would die on the cross for the sins of man, that he would be raised from the grave on the third day, that he would walk around the whole area for over a month and continue to teach and do things, and then he ascended into heaven where he took his place at the right hand of the Father, and today he's reigning over all. 
We know much more than disciples ever did. So he listened to what he has said in his word. And one day we will see him face to face. And we will see him in the radiance of his glory. And it will make that much sweeter the faith that we have today. As we see him. It's one of the best ways to not fall into the trap of being a negligent Christian. Is to know who he is. Realize who his nature is. Remember his mission. And listen to what he says. And obey what he says. And just as Jesus' true identity was revealed that day, if we were in Christ, we also have new identities. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And when we follow him closely, we radiate some of that glory to other people. They see that in us when we follow Jesus. When we turn from our sins, when we give people grace. So we need to radiate the glory of Christ as we continue to make disciples, as we don't neglect the radiance of God. We are called to magnify it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given us today. As we leave here today, we don't take for granted fact that we have this accurate description of you and your word, that we have so much of your knowledge and truth that the disciples would have loved to have had. That we are the beneficiaries of you continuing to reveal yourself through time. And Lord, now that your revelation is contained in the word of God, we wait for that day where we do see you face to face. That day where we do see you in the full radiance of your glory. As we stand there in our resurrected bodies and glorified bodies, sin's been destroyed, Satan's been vanquished. All tears have been wiped away. We look forward to that day, Lord. But until then, let us not be negligent of the things we need to know about. Let us not ease into passivity. Let us have peace. Let us have contentment in our life like we should as Christians. But on following you, let us not be passive. Lord, give us that grace and that strength to do so. Let us listen to you and obey you. Or if there's one in here that's never placed their faith in Jesus before, they would do so today. They would be saved. Lord, give us the grace the rest of us need for this week. Father, we love you. We bring these things to you today and ask them in your name. Amen.